I like to think that the uh, Tom Brady Super Bowls are predicated by the same writing creative staff that brought to us the CFL. It's just marginally rigged. Not topic just, for another day, Carlos. That will be another topic for another day. Welcome to episode three of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, a podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports topics they likely know nothing about for an indeterminate period of time in a hastily thrown together format. This week brought to us by Carrier Pigeon. I'm Carlos Algazar, and with me as always our co-host, Dave Turnbull. Just here because I wrote in on the Carrier Pigeon as well. I thought you were here so you wouldn't get fined. Well, that too. Yeah. So, we've got a couple of things to talk about. There's actually a lot going on. We do have week one of the AAF to, you know, to talk about briefly. It's, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. And, of course, we will address, you know, that relatively irrelevant football game. I think it really didn't affect legacies or anything. It's pretty much a non-issue. Lowest ratings in 10 years. You no, know, who really cares about that one? Lowest scoring game ever. Yeah. Most important thing is we were correct in our predictions. On almost all of them, to be perfectly honest with you. If you had listened to us, you know, those of you that did catch that podcast, you know, you're welcome. Um, I did put my money where my mouth was. And briefly, in the spirit of the humble brag, I am going to briefly outline the areas in which my correctness was validated. Now, I did throw out a couple of flyer uh, wagers. Now, we didn't talk about these on the podcast because the sheer volume of prop bets was insane. Like, I think there's one sports book that I heard had over 500 prop bets. That's crazy. You can imagine, you know, you know about the stuff, the national anthem stuff, you know, which color the Gatorade is. I've done those in the past. My favorite, the will the game go into overtime? Will the game go into overtime? That's a classic. You know, you can do, you know, does the team get to two-point conversion? Stuff like that. That's all normal stuff, relatively speaking, relatively straightforward. And, of course, you know which players are going to score. But there's so many permutations that it's become its own thing. You could basically just do prop bets and not have the outcome of the game be relevant whatsoever. Well, I think speaking of relevancy, I think that's one reason the Super Bowl continues to be relevant, especially when it's a crappy game like it, it was this past Sunday, is that the prop bets keep the degenerates involved. Yeah, I think what's going to be interesting is once the more detailed ratings come in, I think it's going to be interesting to see if, what if anything, the the proposed boycott of New Orleans fans of the game, if that actually had the impact on the rating, because it is the lowest rating in 10 years. So definitely some markets did definitely tune out. It could be Patriot fatigue. It could be, you know, New Orleans folks tuning out. But for whatever reason, less people tuned in and there was less interest, uh, even though the game itself is going to do still a tremendous rating, you know, no question. As far as uh, different prop bets, I took, a, I took a flyer on a couple of them. These first two obviously didn't work out because of the low scoring nature of the game. There was no chance. I, I took a shot at Chris Hogan scoring at 3.4 to 1. No dice on that. The only touchdown was scored by Sony Michelle. Uh, I did also take a shot at uh, Tom Brady scoring a touchdown. I thought maybe in a short yardage situation right up against the goal line. Again, it was so low scoring, you know, that was almost eliminated right off the bat. That was seven and a half to one, though. So, you know, you could have at least... That's a good one to take a flyer on. Yeah, I know in short yardages, sometimes he can go at it. And, you know, in a Super Bowl, maybe go over the line, you know, reach over, do that short yardage package the Patriots are good at. So that was a no-go. So I'm going to cover all the ones I lost first anyway. I did get with my sports book, I did have a free play wager. I did put the Rams money line just as a hedge against uh, all the Patriot bets. I didn't lose anything on that one, but I didn't win that one. So, you know, we'll be fair about it. Uh, Tom Brady's MVP. Nope. Uh, that was Edelman. I did have a wager on Edelman, though, that I'll address in a second that kind of worked out for that one. And I took a shot on the kickoff, be opening kickoff being a touchback. So apparently it landed on the one. We kept to our personal boycott of not watching the game, so I don't know exactly, but from what I saw in the recap, it ended up on the one, so Zerline kind of let me down on that one a little bit. Another yard or two, and maybe I would have had that one. But that you was th- just You a think step. a guy named Greg the Leg would actually be able to kick it for a touchback? Well, I'm, not cu- I'm curious if he was actually still kind of hurt, because there was the, that little bit going in there if he just didn't quite have the, the distance that he would normally have. In the, in the grand scheme of things, relatively irrelevant, but... A bunch of these, uh, a bunch of these did hit, kind of as we talked about. First of all, uh, Pat's win in under fifty-eight. I parlayed that; those two, no problem. Way under fifty-eight. Because and that was both something we were very high on was the under and the Pats winning. Yeah, even if you weren't sure who was going to win, I felt like it was going to be a slugfest, and that's kind of what we talked about. And it turned out playing out like when it was. I think it was three to three at the half, wasn't it? Or three nothing at the half? Or yeah. Yeah, like at that point, I was I was keeping a tra- track of it on my uh, on my phone app, and when I saw that, I was like, "Well, that under's looking pretty good." Regardless of who wins, the under's looking good. I went on w- one of the props that I did touch on, not during the podcast, but one that I saw that kind of interested me was I thought the game being tied at any point after the initial zero zero score. So basically, if a field goal and a field goal, which is what ended up happening, so that was a good one. 
So that was nearly two to one, and I ended up hitting on that one. I broke up too many of these. I was trying to hedge a little bit because I just wasn't sure whether the game would be close or would be a blowout. I felt like it would be close, so I wanted to take something for that, but I also wanted to consider other possibilities. So I, I won with Pats at minus two and a half. I also won with Pats minus six and a half for a smaller amount. Just took a stab at that. But the big one for me was Julian Edelman. I had over 82 and a half yards receiving. Obviously, 141 yards, won the MVP. Well, well past. I, th- I think he had more than that at the half. <laughs> I, think, I think I won that wager at the half. So at halftime, I had already kind of locked that one up. And at that point, it was very much, the game was still in doubt. But I really, when the Rams were held down for that long, I didn't think the inexperience of Goff and McVay, it's not like they would figure it out. Andy Reid figured out how to score in the second half of the NFC of the AFC, AFC championship. championship game, yeah. But he's a lot more experienced. As much as we rag on him for having his issues in the playoffs, he knows how to coach offensive football. Yeah. It and felt like they never he's adjusted. He's played the Patriots multiple times before, too. Yeah, he wasn't going to lay down for them, but at the same time, he still doesn't quite know how to bring it over the hump. But at the same time, he knew how to make enough adjustments to make it close and make it interesting because the Philadelphia Eagles team that he brought to the Super Bowl with McNabb and those guys, they had to come back in that game too to make it interesting later. And they were able to make it competitive. In the end, this was sort of competitive, but not really. The 10 points was generous. You know, both kickers missed a field goal. Really not a great Super Bowl to remember. Not a, You take it. It is what it is. It didn't really cement anything for Tom Brady for me. Because obviously I I am a, a noted Tom Brady skeptic, but at the same time, you know, the 260 yard, you were marginally better than Jared Goff, who was well out of his element. So it wasn't it wasn't a good look. But I don't think that game, regardless of how it would go down, would have changed anything for Tom Brady. I think the people who are Tom Brady people think he's the GOAT and nothing's going to change that, right? And the people who are skeptics like you... You know, he could win another 10 Super Bowls, and you're still going to say, oh, he got lucky, or it was a team win. or what, Well, I mean, football is a team game. But I don't think it changes anything for his legacy, because I think his legacy is already cemented. I like to think that the uh, Tom Brady Super Bowls are predicated by the same writing creative staff that brought to us the CFL. It's just marginally rigged. No, topic just, for another day, Carlos. That will be another topic for another day. Uh, so that kind of covers the Super Bowl. Uh, really quickly, I'll touch on the uh, the Alliance of American Football. A couple of notable notes. Uh, they did finally release the app. And it sucks. It, it's, it's a bit of, it's a real letdown, all things considered. I was expecting a lot more. Uh, truthfully, the, big, the biggest issue I would say I had with it was that looking at everything, you look at the app and really there's almost nothing to it. Like you could definitely see how you could keep score and how you could break down different elements of it. But the streaming capability isn't there. A lot of the links and things in the app are all basically touching on, uh, not touching on, sorry. I would say most of the components of the app basically link you to the website, which is all well and good, but that kind of defeats the point. And then at the same time, there was almost no announcement as far as the rollout is concerned. I'm on the social media social media uh, accounts for the AAF, and I found out that the app was there by looking at the Reddit group. That's basically how I figured it out. And Which I used, is not, if you're a company, that's not where you want people figuring out where your app is. Well, exactly. Uh, the, the reality is that it's not terrible, It's uh, and it seems to be functioning pretty well. I didn't have any issue with crashes, but there wasn't, I would say that I spent a lot of time playing on it, but there wasn't a lot to play on it with. So what are you going to do with it? You know, that's kind of the issue that I ran into was I don't know what it is I'm supposed to do with the app in question. We're going to see. We're going to see how this turns out. But right now, not an auspicious start. Hopefully the games themselves will be a little bit better. That's kind of the big hope. Let's hope so, but we'll find out tonight. Yeah. In the spirit of that, though, I did place my, uh, my, opening, uh, my opening AAF wager. I have, the, uh, I have Atlanta losing uh, to the, I think it's Orlando team. Yep, Orlando Apollos. Yeah, the Orlando Apollos. The line was five points. I don't know how they came up with that line. So, and there was no money line one on that one. So there you go. There's your there's your gambling uh, element for the uh, for the AF. It's good though that at least they're on the sports books because that's part of it. If you're going to be a sports league, you better be on there because otherwise, you know, the, if they're not acknowledging you, that's that's problematic. We're going to see. It's going to be on the main CBS network, so that's going to be kind of interesting. I will briefly, really briefly, uh, just just in case anyone is interested, and obviously your mileage may vary depending on what sites or, you know, if you're in Vegas or whatever the case is. Regardless of where you are, I can give you the early numbers on the AAF so that you can start preparing yourself for who's going to win the AAF championship. You can start preparing your wagers for this one. So are you ready, Mr. Trimble? Do you I, know? I am ready. I have no idea. I'm going to guess. I'm just going to go with out there and say Memphis is the favorite. No. 
And the thing is, I genuinely don't know what it is they did in order to come up with these. So I will give you. So your favorite for the AF right now is my adopted team, the Arizona Hotshots at three and a half to one. Coincidence? Just saying. But I genuinely don't know how they came up with these numbers. Where's my adopted team, the Orlando Apollos? You're, you're kind of in the middle. So right now the Salt Lake Stallions are, are there in second at 5-1. to one. The San Antonio Commanders, 6-1. to one. The Orlando Apollos also 6-1. to one. And the Atlanta Legends is 6-1. to one. So all three of those teams are right around the same. So you've got those. And then at the bottom there you've got the San Diego Fleet at 11-1, to one, Memphis Express at 11-1, to one, and the Birmingham Iron at 11-1. to one. Again, you know, with almost no information, with a lot of roster movement, with little things... There isn't a lot to kind of tell you what it is that uh, they're they're deducing, so we're, we're going to have to kind of see how that turns out. But it's kind of interesting, uh, you know, to look at it from the very beginning there. So as far as that piece is concerned, we'll reserve judgment. Obviously, tonight will be a big night because opening night is is a big deal. We did do draw the comparison to the XFL. One other update I'll give uh, related to something we did talk about last week was I, I mentioned to you that I was trying that I tried to order some AAF swag yes. through the website. Canada still doesn't exist according to the AAF. Still can't order it. I have no shipping options. Going to have to get an American PO box and like travel to Buffalo more often. Obviously. Uh, or I can get Oggs to do it because he says he's thinking about getting a box. Perfect. So I, I you know, I may have a hookup, you know. Helps when you have a family member or a friend who lives in St. Catharines and is close to the border. Yeah. So in contrast to that though, I decided as as a matter of making a point I decided that I would do a little experiment. And I, I went in contrast to, we know the AF obviously starting tonight, but we know that next year, Vince McMahon is bringing out his little, uh, his little edition in the, way of, uh, in the way of his relaunch XFL. But I want to make something abundantly clear here. Vince knows how to make money, but he also has never turned down a dollar in his life as a promoter. I've tried now for, a, for consecutive weeks to try to order something from the AAF, and I'm being blocked at every turn. I'm just going to show something to Dave on the screen. All I have to say is, right there, I had absolutely zero problem ordering. I have an XFL Dallas mug coming in, as well as an XFL hat. I'm not doing the XFL red, even though I like red traditionally, because we're not making red great again. It's, too, is- it's too mega-ish. And this is also a year before the league's even going to start. A year before the league has started, they've already got their... The thing, though, is I wasn't too surprised because the WWE already has all the infrastructure. They know how to run shops. They know how That's to true. run all that. That's a good point. The fact that you've got Alpha Entertainment as a, you know, a kind of a self-running entity, it doesn't... It's, it's similar to... My expectation would be when the XFL comes out, and obviously we'll talk about it more when we're closer to it. We're, we're still way far away from it. Vince McMahon, if he knows nothing else... He knows how to get the word out there. Like, I already know Bob Stoops is going to be coaching the, the Dallas team. I know that because it's on the XFL website. They did a press release. They explained this to everybody. They made this abundantly clear. It's not hidden. I promise you if they have an app, the app will work right off the block because if they know nothing else, they know how to do take care of those little details. Oh, the, the, shop marketing is is, the marketing is going to be top-notch. Yeah, the, shar- the, the shop is obviously ready to go today. It's been ready to go for a couple of weeks. I was able to order it. There was almost no friction. I could have done Google Pay. I could have done Apple Pay. I could have done PayPal, which is what I did. No problem. No issue. P- couldn't have been simpler. Yeah. The shipping rates are already established. Like they, they know how to do this because guess what? If I wanted to order a, you know, a John Cena t-shirt, they can do that. Well, guess what? They use the same infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So you use what you already know. And I promise you, if they have an app, well, there's a thing called the WWE Network. It works on an app. It works on a tablet. They've already established all the, the baseline. I think where the AF is going to be interesting is that they have the smart people and they have the television connections. But I think they're still working on their marketing stuff. Like there, There's would, still some work to be done It certainly would there. appear so. My disappointment, I would say, and I didn't catch it from the game, but it's something I saw when I was looking at social media, was that apparently uh, the promotion for it was very minimal during the Super Bowl. Apparently they only had one ad actually before the game itself. Apparently CBS decided not to promote its own product on the main show, not use any of the ad time. That's interesting. It, it's, I think it's a mistake. I think I, I think the either CBS should have considered because here's the thing: even if you don't want to use the main Super Bowl ad time, do one of those lower lower third ads. Put something down there. Just say, hey, you know, next Saturday, tune into the main CBS network. We're going to have this game on. Yeah, even if you did it like once in the first half, once in the second half. You, but the thing is, you can do it while the game's still playing. Well, you know, while Tom Brady or Jared Goff are running out to the field and the, the commentators are still talking, you don't have to you say just, anything. You, for, compared to the way the game went, you could have just put on ads for a while for the AAF, and it probably would have been more entertaining than the actual game. You could have done it during the entire Rams' offensive drives, you know, before they punt. 
Not so, like you missed anything. Yeah. So it's, we're going to see what happens. It's going to be an interesting exercise. I'm still fascinated by it because going into next year, we want a spring football league to succeed. In a perfect world, we would love both of them to succeed in some way. That would be great. Competition's good. But regardless, I want a spring football alternative. That would be excellent. Obviously, you know, you're, you're a big CFL guy, and I've tolerated the CFL for, for years. But it, that starts basically, I think, in, right around July. June, July-ish, yeah. give or take. Like, usually around Canada Day now is when they have the, yeah. like the first regular season game. Yeah, so that's great. But that, that gives us a nice little gap. So when the Super Bowl ends, we could have, you know, a league run a couple of months there. And then we're only – and then by the time we're in April, we, we've got baseball to keep us distracted for a little while. And then by the middle – you know, by the middle of summer, we can have – we can still have CFL if you're so inclined. So you can have football not all year round because I think all year round would be too much. But I think it's nice having an off-season that's more in line with a lot of the other leagues. Because yeah. that, that would be kind of a nice way, especially if you're a big football fan. So that's good. So I think that covers the main football talk for now. We're, we'll reserve judgment until we've had a chance. We want to see what the presentation looks like. It's, it's going to be on CBS. So my expectation is it's going to be fairly equivalent to what you would expect on an NFL telecast, especially out of the blocks. They may throw in their own quirks and things, but I don't think that's going to be right out of the block in week one. I'd expect something very similar in presentation to what you would expect from CBS. And the NFL Network games will probably resemble what they do, at least at first. And then I think maybe they'll integrate some more stuff as, as the opportunity presents itself. Well, the, I think they're going to have a good TV product. The question is, can they get all the other aspects together? I think, as long as the TV, I think as long as the TV product is good and entertaining, I think they can get away with some of these sins early. But I think they do really need to consider taking feedback on some of this stuff. Guys, at this stage, coming right up on the beginning of the game, there's no reason I shouldn't have been able to buy my Arizona Hotshot swag. I should already have it in hand. I should be wearing it and being able to play with my app coming right into week one. So we'll, we'll see how that goes going forward. Now let's talk about some other brief news and notes. We've already, we already had a nice little chat here on this part. But as far as other news and notes are concerned, um, we did have a couple of elements. So do you want to kind of set up the bobblehead story of the week? So I, you know, based on our bobblehead last week, when looking around at things this week, I found another bobblehead that was going to happen. This time for the New York Mets. So if you're in New York City on Saturday, April 27th, you can get the Noah Syndergaard Game of Thrones bobblehead. And the reason I felt this was kind of noteworthy is, is basically went more to my point that I made last week is that I feel like bobbleheads are just, they're just not bobbleheads anymore. Like I'm looking at this thing and it's like, does the head move? Because maybe the back of the throne moves. Maybe you can take out the swords. I don't know, right? He's sitting on the Iron Throne, for those of you who watch Game of Thrones. Now, the problem we discussed earlier in, in just a brief conversation before the podcast that Carl and I had is this would be so much better if he was in the Mets robe that we talked about last week as opposed to the Mets uniform. Think of how meta that would be. That would be fantastic. A total callback. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm giving my thumbs down to this just because... Don't lie to me. You want that. You want that on your shelf. No. Maybe maybe just the, the Iron Throne, but I can take her leaf nose in a guard or any other player for that matter. Yeah, I think it's a bit much. Uh, I, I don't mind the cross promotion though. Like uh, like Game of Thrones, obviously, is still in the public consciousness. I think it's funny because well, for sure it is. I mean, with the that's right in the in when the last final season comes out. Yeah, that's what I thought. April, I, thought so I thought it was the final. It's season. a perfect time to put out something like that if you're going to do that. Yeah, I'm not a big TV guy, and I'm not into a lot of TV shows. So I, I think I'm one of the few people I think left. I'm one of the last holdouts that has genuinely never watched an episode of Game of Thrones, but I know of it. Like I can't, you can't ignore it. If if you're out in the world and people talk at all about anything around you. Heaven forbid you work in an office and people have to have something to talk about. You're going to hear references to Game of Thrones. You, it, it's been out there long enough and uh, it's popular enough that you know people, people talk about it. The main thing for me is, I don't mind it. The, out of, the, out of the, bobble, the, the troll hair bobblehead was a lot more objectionable to me. This one, it's cute for what it is. If you're, if you're a Mets fan, this is, it's, it's cute. It's something. Uh, it reminds me, the example I would use is the, one of my Roy Halladay bobbleheads. The one where he's hanging out in the, where he's basically standing inside of the dome. It's a little gimmicky, but it's also a little different. Because a lot of bobbleheads will look very similar. It's hard to come up with something that looks interesting or well, different. Sure. I think now, though, the way sports marketing is going for the teams is, where is the line between too gimmicky and too plain? Right. And I, you know, I'm thinking more and more everything's just going to the gimmicky side now. Well, I think um, maybe uh, obviously I have to see one in hand, but assuming his head doesn't bobble, I don't know if it does or not. But assuming it doesn't, maybe the maybe this would have served well as a statue. You well, could have yeah. done like a Game of Thrones statuette. 
You can still be kind of cute. It's, it's something. It's whatever. I'm not too bothered by it, but at the same time, I could see that it, it's going to be a bit much. I'd be curious. Uh, well, this one's twenty five thousand, so at least there's a decent amount of them. So you know, April twenty seventh, if you're if you're in uh, New York, go nuts. You know, you can get yourself a Syndergaard Game of Thrones bobblehead. The other news note that I want to talk about, so we won't have as many this week, obviously, since we had a little bit there on the football talk. The other interesting one was an article that you brought to my attention, because our main topic is going to be a preview, uh, first uh, first in a series, 2019 MLB previews. But related to that, writer Jeff Passan from ESPN made a, made a pitch and an argument regarding M- MLB free agency. Do you want to kind of summarize it, or I can do that? You, you can summarize it, and then I'll go into some of the points that I have. Okay. So Bayes, the crux of his argument was talking about how Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, you know, this week's Bryce Harper free agent watch. Do you want to know what the latest update is? Nothing. Still nothing. But his crux of his argument is he's saying, you know, the title of the article is The Broken Winter, Why Baseball Must Fix Free Agency ASAP. Okay. So his argument is because Manny Machado and Bryce Harper are not haven't been signed, given that they're, you know, in their 20s, I think they're both 26, uh, I think Machado's going to be 27, if memory serves me, the fact that no teams have really aggressively pursued them, all the teams have been, you know, teams have been talking to them. It's just that everybody's kind of sitting back and going like, okay, because the Nationals already offered Bryce Harper $300 million for 10 years, $30 million a year. The expectation is, well, you know, that's kind of an opening salvo, and then other teams would be salivating at the opportunity of grabbing Harper. I addressed kind of last week why I, I don't see why why that would be the case, but his argument is that, well, players are upset now that they have free agency, but at the same time, these teams aren't being as stupid as they were being previously. Now, he makes the argument that, well, a lot of the players are going to object to the fact that a lot of teams are spelling well under the cap, at the same time that you know, they continue to make these record revenues. I agree with part of this article. So my crux of it, and obviously I want to hear your take on this as well, they're both right and they're both wrong. If you're the owners, I don't build that business. It's not a charity. I rarely side with the owners when it comes to making money because they make plenty. I also don't side with the owners when they want a stadium paid for free by a municipality because I'm like, no, pay for it yourself. This is your business that you've decided to enter into. Buy your own stuff. But at the same time, I think the players are entitled to a certain amount given that they are the product on the field, but I do think there is something to be said for building the platform, you know, the stadium, the infrastructure, everything that's built around it to allow them to do it because the players in and of themselves don't have a way of monetizing their ability per se. They don't have the infrastructure. They, they, they're not building the stadiums. They're not, you know, getting all the, the staff, the security, the concessions, everything done. At the same time, they are the product that's being put in there that's putting the butts in the seats, presumably or the eyes on the television, or whatever the case is. So they are entitled to something. But at the same time, the the fact that the owners have reached a point where they're not just stupidly outbidding or bidding against themselves, like in the A-Rod contract negotiation back in the day with the Yankees. He was already making $252 million for a 10-year period, and the Yankees bumped it up to $275. i am going off memory, but they, could, they were bidding against themselves. There was no other bidder. Yeah. If that era is gone... That's not the owner's problem. They're, they're maybe, maybe their accountants finally got to them and go, what are you doing? In most areas, the, free, the whole thing with free agency is if everybody knows what everybody makes, it's easier to make more money. But eventually you hit the wall. At a certain point is, I understand you are the best at what you do or you're the best in this era at what you do. That is worth X to me. If someone says it's worth X plus $5 million, fair enough. I'm not going to increase my offer. But if everyone looks at it and goes, no, I think that's about right. I think that's about as far as we're willing to go. You want more, I'll, I'll, less years. And baseball contracts are guaranteed. In football, I think the, a lot of the players, especially at the lower end of the scale, are getting kind of ripped off given that the contracts are not guaranteed. Yeah, but well, you, I think that's the big thing here with, with, with free agency is that I think that's sort of where I see this maybe going is that because they're guaranteed contracts, right, owners don't want to invest a crazy amount of money because if you get, you know, you give him like, let's say Bryce Harper's the deal that he was offered, the $300 million over 10 years, and he has a career-ending injury in year one, you're still on the hook for the rest of that money. Yeah, in most right? cases you're insured. You know, you can you can make certain arrangements that'll, that'll offset because a lot of these, especially, especially for players, you know, a catastrophic career-ending injury, you're probably insured for it in some way. So no, true, not. but I, I still think what, what I'm saying is that the owners aren't going to want to do that. I think that's what we're seeing. So what I'm thinking is that you're probably going to start seeing lesser, like the term being shorter, but the money still being huge. That's I, that's what I think we're going towards. I think 
it, it there is a bit of a middle ground. It's a struggle because I understand the player's standpoint that hey, I want the security of whatever. But then if you're an owner or if you're an accountant for the owner, you you're like, okay, but whereas in an office job, you start doing a job at 20 and you keep going through 30s and into your 40s. By the time you're in your 40s or your 50s, you're super experienced. You might be re- you might not be have the energy level that you had in your 20s, but you're you're, you're probably pretty good at your job by then. Yeah. Well, in a, in a professional sports thing, your body is it, and your body will break down. It doesn't matter who you are. Eventually, you will start to decline, even if you're still really good. You know, even if you're Julio Franco and you're borderline immortal, you will still decline eventually. Or you have to adjust what you do in a way to help you lengthen your career yeah like for example like if you're a starter and then you go into relief pitching yeah it's you could do some element of it that'll extend your career and give you more options that position, still makes you valuable position players that go to dh correct so there there are options for that but you're also not going to be as valuable as so as a designated hitter who can still get it done you're not as valuable as when you were an outfielder that had a gold glove caliber arm you, you, you're, you're actually less valuable, True. even though your bat's still good. Yes. Stuff like that. As part of that, though, for a lot of those teams, like looking at the Harper example, they're looking at him, oh, he's 26, you know, 10-year deal. He'd be like 36 at the end of it. Okay, cool. You're not worried about Bryce Harper at 28. You're not, you know, assuming his health is fine. You're not worried about him at 29. You're not worried about him at 30. You're worried about him at 34, 35, 36. You're worried about those last couple of years of that deal where if we assume he follows a normal trajectory, there's a, there's a time where the decline will happen. You take the all-time greatest. The good example I like to use is Hank Aaron. I think his career, as much as he's revered, I think he's actually kind of underrated. In his late 30s and his early 40s, he was still fairly productive. But you look, it's a lot less. So he was still he could still hit for power. But it's obviously his average you know, would keep declining and declining and declining. And looking at a modern-day example, you look at Pujols. Pujols, is still, Pujols still has 40 home run capable power. Can he get around only enough pitches to hit 40 home runs? Maybe. But his average is also slowly dropping. He's going to probably drop below a 300 career average this year, assuming he plays the full season and stays relatively healthy. But if he hits 30 home runs and 100 RBIs, are you going to cry about it too much? No. He's still reasonably productive. But he's still getting paid at the 40 home run, you know, old Albert Pujols. The Albert Pujols who could contend for a batting title, who was a threat for a triple crown. He's not that guy anymore. Miguel Cabrera is a guy who could be that kind of guy if he can be healthy, but he'll only be that kind of guy for only a couple more years. You're always looking at the back end of that deal. I think you're right. I think it's going to end up being a case where I think a lot of these owners are going to go like, okay, look, you Bryce Harper, you want, I don't know what you want, 40 million a year, something like that, maybe? Okay, I'll give it to you for two or three, and then you can be a free agent in 2930. You can give it another shot, and maybe somebody else will give you another two years at seventy million. Yeah, something like that. I mean, and then it beca- I think you put the onus on the player, right? Is do you want that money up front, and then maybe not get a big contract because who knows how your play goes, or do you want to take the guaranteed longer term deal at less money? Yeah. Right? And I think there, you know, that's something that each individual player would have to weigh as to what's going to work out in their favor. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting thing in the long run with the players and the players' union. Is that okay? Well, kind of. You're, both sides want to have their cake and eat it too right now. The owners want to keep bumping up the ticket prices and you know monetizing everything. You know, is At one point, luxury boxes was a thing, and now you want seat licenses, and you want all this stuff. Like We can even use our local example. I was a season ticket holder in 2013 for the Toronto Blue Jays. I paid, I think it was six or $700 for the season. I had the 500-level seats, but they were nice seats. They were decent seats. I got all the frills, all the perks. I got a team jacket. I got a, you know, an autographed baseball. You know, at the end of the season, I got a, I got to go to the season ticket holder events. All that good stuff. I, I got to play on the field. All that stuff was really cool. By the following year, they had already increased the price like three or four hundred dollars. And at this point, those same tickets, I believe, are in the fourteen to fifteen hundred dollar price point. And that's for one ticket. That's for one ticket. One single right. ticket. So and most people aren't buying one ticket. Correct. Right? You're going to be wanting at least two. Yeah. So the thing is, you can say, oh, well, those were nosebleed seats and whatever. Well, those same tickets are 1500 to 1600 now. So it's really hard to justify you keep increasing. The product hasn't improved. In 2013, the team wasn't great. Now, now you can argue the team's not great again. Well, the price isn't going to... When the team underperforms, the Rodgers is not offering to bring the prices back down. 
they're offering the same product. So whether they pay the players nothing or whether they play the players, uh, you know, $100 million each, my ticket price is not decreasing. They're not offering to charge me less. The, the price of the hot dog is still going to go up this year. The price of the Coke is still going to go up this year. So as, as a fan, I'm kind of in the spot where, like, I get I don't have a problem with the team making money. I don't have a problem with the players making money. But the product on the field is not improving. Yeah. So I'm still getting the same product, regardless of whether you pay the players nothing or you pay the players a whole ton. The players are entitled to something because we're paying to see them. But then if the owners are saving money on player salaries, it's not coming back to me as a fan. Yep. So I'm kind of in that spot. So I agree and disagree with this person. I think he's over-dramatizing it a little bit because he's suddenly making it like it's this great injustice that you know owners are not bidding against themselves and overpaying. Because my whole point with the Bryce Harper and Manny Machado thing really came down to, I don't know if these guys are really worth the kind of money they're asking for, even if the owners were in a position where they felt like they were bidding against each other and going nuts like they were a couple of years ago. I used the example when we were talking before we started recording was that Nolan Arenado went to arbitration. I think he wanted $30 million a season, and I think the, uh, the Rockies offered um, – I think he wanted 30 and the Rockies offered like 22 or something like that. And I think the arbitrator met him in the middle at 26. So 26 for a season, which is solid. And I think Arenado's case is interesting because if the Rockies decide to re-sign him, he's a 40-home run guy the last several years. And yeah. he's a guy who has hit over 300. He's hit over 300 more than Bryce Harper. He's hit 40 home runs more than Bryce Harper. He has been a 100-RBI guy. Now, you say, oh, he's in Coors. And we'll get to that during our preview because we are going to talk about Colorado in this particular one. But is Nolan Arenado to the Colorado Rockies, given that you do know that his production in, in Coors is tremendous, at least at home, and he does he, his splits on the road aren't as bad, depending on the year you look at. So given that you know that he is a guy who could be a perennial triple crown winner, he's a six-time gold glover. He adds that other element to it as well. So the, the course yeah. isn't going to impact on this fielding. So he's, at, he's got that other element. I, I'd argue Nolan Arenado to the Colorado Rockies is worth more than Bryce Harper. For sure. And we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So we're going we're to see how that plays out. But that's kind of where I'm at as far as, obviously, as we get into it, they are going to get signed by somebody. And they're going to make more money than most of us will ever make in our lives. It's just a matter of how much and for how long. Yeah. And are they willing to take a shorter period of time to your earlier point? If you really want the per year to be that high, are you willing to do it for three years or four years and then maybe give yourself a chance to pursue free agency again in your late 20s and your early 30s? We'll see how that plays out. And now on to our predictions. Well, part predictions, part preview. All right. So we're talking MLB for the next several weeks. We decided to start with my favorite division, in Major League Baseball, yeah, the NL West. We're going to alternate between America, uh, the National League and the American League, and we're going to go. We're going to start off over in the West, move to the Central. So, rather than try to cram thirty teams into one podcast, which would take about six hours, we or even doing an entire even doing an entire um, league, which would still take hours, we decided to break it division by division, and we're going to slowly move until we finish. Close to home in the American League East will be our final one over the next couple of weeks. So beginning with the NL West, it is your favorite division. You, you want to start this one off? Yeah, I, I've got some some thoughts on here. And I think I think one of the things we should do, or at least I'm going to do, is I'm going to give you my prediction for how the division is going to shape out first place to bottom, and then I'll go team by and then we'll go team by team. For me, I see this working as the Dodgers, the Rockies, the Diamondbacks the Giants, and the Padres. So that's the order that I have. One more time, Dodgers, Rockies, Diamondbacks, Giants, Padres. I think it's an interesting division. I'll start with the Dodgers because those of you who know me know that the Dodgers are my favorite team. Thank you, Vince Scully, for that. And I look at this, you know, Dodgers have made the World Series the last two years. They've lost the World Series both of those years. So they're now in the same club as the Texas Rangers on back-to-back World Series losers. Can I add a quick uh, point about that? Of course. Okay. So I'm glad you brought that up uh, because I had that in my notes. But specifically, I wanted to go a little bit further back. Since 2013, specifically, the, Nat- the Los Angeles Dodgers have lost the NLCS. They've lost the NLDS twice. They've lost in the NLCS again. And they lost in the World Series twice. That's in order since 2013. Consistent playoff, consistent playoff appearances. You know, they've gotten to various levels. It's, it's an interesting thing where they've had quite a run. And it really is a matter of is the window closing and 
obviously when we get to the individual team. So when you're doing your main one, then do we want to then break into individual teams? Yeah. Okay. So start off. Please continue. So, well, I mean, if you want to give your prediction for how he's going to shake out, and then let's start talking about, we'll just go start with the Dodgers okay. after that. Prediction-wise, I'm not far off from where you are. Really, a lot of it is interchangeable. The first two are really going to be Dodgers and Colorado. I still have that because right now not enough has changed between those teams. Colorado still has Arnado. The Dodgers are probably still the best team in that division. After that, it kind of gets murky. Uh, right now, we've still got San Diego probably should be last. But you can make an argument for me that San Francisco and San Diego, San Francisco's problem is they kind of aged out, and they are full of injuries, and Madison Baumgartner might be traded this year because he is, he is in his walk year. So a lot of it will depend on that. If San Francisco's completely out of it and they end up dumping Baumgartner, well, then basically they've given up on the season. So they could very well be at the bottom of that division. Well, I mean, and everything is contingent on whether injuries yeah. happen too, right? Like I see, I see the Giants as a higher than the Padres, strictly on experience. Mm. But if those experienced players get injured, which is more likely the older you get, yeah. then, you know, I could see the Padres jumping them. Yeah, I'm going to put, uh, for the moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say Dodgers first, then Colorado, then I'm going to put Arizona almost by default, you know, rather than anything specific. I am going to put San Diego to improve a couple of games, and I'm actually going to put San Francisco last, only because... If they start incurring injuries again, Evan Longoria breaks down again because he's already started breaking down. If he continues to break down, if Buster Posey, you know, doesn't recover from his surgery well, if they continue to have those issues, and if they give up and have to basically trade away Baumgartner, you know, before the end of the season, that team could very well then be positioning themselves for a last place finish in the division. So that's kind of where I would put those teams, one through five. Okay. Yeah. So then let's let's go to the Dodgers and do a... So here's some things that I see are interesting with the Dodgers. So first of all, their GM has left, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is interesting because he left to another team in the division. So Farhan Zaidi's gone from the Dodgers to the Giants. I don't see that making a huge difference in the short term. In the long term, we'll see. Uh, they made some a couple of moves. The biggest one is, well, they had Manny Machado that they traded for. He's obviously a free agent, as we've discussed previously. But they have Corey Seager coming back from injury at shortstop. Which I like Corey Seager as a player. I like him as a shortstop. Question is how well has he recovered from his injury? We'll see. The my favorite player, Yasiel Puig, was traded to the Cincinnati Reds. And they have got as a replacement AJ Pollock from the Diamondbacks. And I like that. I think like I like AJ Pollock. I don't like the fact that they got rid of Puig because I like Puig. He's exciting to watch. I'll still follow him with Cincinnati. But I think for the Dodgers, I think Puig brought the excitement. Puig brought the potential for, like, a really electric play. And the strikeout. Well, but that's the thing, right? I trust A.J. Pollock more to be reliable when you need him down the stretch than I do Puig. Yeah. No, that's fair. I think um, I think what's interesting for me, so there are a couple of notes that I had about uh, Los Angeles. Really, the big, big question marks that I have is, number one, how is Kershaw's aging going? Because the thing is, Kershaw's not old. Kershaw is going to be 31 this year. So really, in pitching years, 31 is not really... No. It's not really. But it feels like he's declining quickly because the last three seasons, he's averaged 162 innings per year. That's not great. Well, he, and he's probably at least had like one injury or been yeah. missing games. No, that's the thing. as well, right? Right up until the last... If I, if I go back about three years ago, Kershaw was effectively the best pitcher in baseball, comfortably. Like, he had just come off multiple Cy Young awards, and he was in contention for Cy Young. He was, he was basically torching everybody. I think, I'd have to see the stats in front of me, but I think coming off, I think around 2014, 2013, maybe 2015, probably 2013 or 14, he had 300 strikeout year. Like, he was being, he was dominant in every way, shape, and form, low ERA, he was doing all that. But now he's averaging 25 starts and 162 innings. That's not great. His velocity has been steadily dropping off. That's not the end of the world because I think his velocity was uh, – he was averaging 90.9 miles per hour on his fastball, which isn't amazing. But here's the truth. If, if he – if his velocity is going to go away and it's not coming back, so be it. But at age 30 or 31, well, then maybe you're going to have to reinvent yourself as more of a uh, – as a, as a pitcher who throws a lot of different pitches because it's not like he fell off. It's not like his ERA ballooned 12 this year. It didn't happen. 
Uh, what in reality though is the combination of injuries and also you know decreased velocity is hurting his effectiveness a little bit because his off-speed pitches aren't as off-speed when the fastball just isn't popping. But that's like any other pitcher. Like so then maybe knock knock a couple miles an hour off your off-speed pitch. Like there's different ways you can do this. It's going to have to be maybe pitching a little bit more intelligently because your talent, your arm strength isn't really doing it. And it's seeing if you can last a full season. If he can last a full season and maybe adapt, there's no reason he can't still be extremely effective. No, for sure. But I, I think you're looking at the changeover now where Kershaw's still going to be a solid serviceable pitcher, but Walker Bueller is now going to be the ace of the staff. That would be my expectation uh, coming off that playoff performance. But here's the thing. Like, I'm very curious. This is why I say, like, the adjustment thing is going to be fascinating for me. I'm not a big NL guy, but I am going to observe a little bit more carefully this year because I do want to – I kind of want to see the other other league a little bit more carefully. I would like to see if Kershaw can transform himself. I see no reason. Like, Jamie Moore is the model. He's out there. It's already happened. Like, we've seen it. And, you know, maybe the greatest pitcher of of our generation, Greg Maddox – Greg Maddox never had a fireball, but he kept adapting. Greg Maddox was still effective. All through his 30s into his early 40s, he kept pitching well. Yeah. So he, he, Greg Maddox is an example of a guy, you know what? If I was Kershaw, I'd reach out to a Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox has forgotten more about pitching than most people know. True. The truth is this, and he can be the guy that can tell you, here's what happens when your fastball starts dropping down into the low 90s and the high 80s. Here's what you do. Yeah, add absolutely. another pitch. Add another two pitches. Find a w- different ways of or hitting your spots. Or rely on a different pitch more. Exactly. But the, but the thing is, I don't see any reason. You can't tell me with honesty that at age 31, the guy suddenly loses speed on his fastball and can't adapt and can't find another way to become effective. And if he finds another way to become effective, guess what? Jamie Moyer in his late 30s was a 20-game winner. No, nope. he, sure. It's still possible. And if he can do that too, then I think that bodes well for the, yeah. the Dodgers even more so. And it also gives them an offset because if you have fireballers and then you've got the you know the increasingly crafty veteran who's throwing in that off-speed stuff, you can mess people up in a series. No, for sure. That's good. The That's thing good with thing. the Dodgers overall, though, is I feel like even the last few years, they always feel like one piece short of a complete package. Yeah. Right? There always seems to be that you know, maybe they need another hitter or maybe they need like a a big free agent signing and, and they don't do it, right? Because, you know, they were spending crazy sums of money when the ownership changed over and they had like Magic Johnson and co that own the team now. And now they've decided, okay, no, we need to get to be under the luxury tax. Fine. But what's going on with that is it's still like, it just seems like they're just missing a piece. They're just not spending that extra money to get that one piece or they're not. Bryce pulling. Harper, one year, 87 and a half million. Book it. <laughs> we'll see. I doubt that. But then now who's going to play, Right. Yeah. He's going to play right field and, and yeah. whatever. But that's that's my take on the Dodgers. I think uh, I think one other element I'll add in there. So as far as the pitching is concerned, this thing, let, let's address the hitting for a second. One thing that I saw when I looked and kind of broke down those numbers, I'm genuinely curious how the Dodgers are going to make up for the fact. One thing that concerns me about them, and, and something I don't like, I, I'm a I'm a kind of an old school baseball fan in the in the sense that I love home runs and I love RBIs and I like I love the old thirty home run hundred RBI guy is is my jam. That's that's the bread and butter guy. You love having. That's why I love Joe Carter. Joe Carter Joe Carter was a favorite of mine specifically because he's that dude. Right. Um, and you love having one. Of, you got to have at least one of those guys because that's that kind of gives you a presence in the middle of the lineup where you know what you want to pitch around him fine, but you're always going to have base runners on. Well, great. If you've got other guys who can hit, that's awesome. My concern is that when I look at the Dodgers, I look at, like, last year specifically, Max Muncie, 35 home runs. How the hell do you not have 80 RBIs with 35 home runs? Yeah. That's not encouraging. That means either you're not getting base runners or, you know, he's not cashing in when he does get the base runners. I looked – I was actually looking up – the reason the Max Muncie thing is so fascinating to me is that I went and looked it up and I think – I'll have to dig a little deeper because obviously you've got to really go into the numbers. I think Max Muncy has the least RBIs ever for a guy with 35 home runs last year. I think he broke, I think he broke the record because wow. I saw an article from 2013 where I think the record was 80 or 81 and he had 79 RBIs. It's almost impossible. Just do the RBI to home run conversion. Like that's about two RBIs per home run. How? <laughs> how, how? Like it's, it seems almost impossible um, because, because you're hitting a lot of solo home runs. And that's not great. You're not generating a ton of offense that way. And when you're kind of, when you feels like you're offensively challenged, then your pitching becomes so much more important because 
Well, if you're not going to score that often or that much and you don't have the big run producer, my goodness, your life's going to be hard. So we'll see. That's kind of looking at the other end of it. You know, when you look at the American League, you look at the Boston's whatever, when J.D. Martinez goes out there and gives you 40 home runs and 130 RBIs or something and threatens for the triple crown, and you've got all these other guys, if you have a team full of like these 20 home run guys, it doesn't seem very exciting, but guess what? That adds up. No, for sure. It doesn't matter. Like you don't need the big 50 home run guy if you've got... This guy can hit 15 to 20. This guy can hit 15 to 20. You got a lineup full of them? That's dangerous. Yeah. And that's why it continues to be close but no cigar for the Dodgers. Yeah. It's just you run out of power right at the wrong time because you don't need to just be a home run hitting team, but you got to generate runs somehow. Yeah. Somewhere. So that's kind of the Dodgers there. Uh, you mind if I pick the next team here a little bit? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. So because we knew, I knew we'd have a fair bit to say about the Dodgers. Let's just go through a couple of these other teams. Uh, obviously, I'll, we'll talk about Colorado last just because... I think they're they're probably the number two team in that division. Let's quickly, briefly go through some of these other teams. Uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. So, kind of a sympathetic team for me. Not not one of my favorites, but at the same time, I I do love me some Arizona. This is true. Obviously. Do you also love trading away your best players? Or Uh, letting them leave? Well, when you can. You you simply must. Oh, we forgot about it in the news and notes. We'll bring it up at the end. We'll we'll talk about your, uh, your Pelicans. We'll bring it up. Remind me. Okay. So the Diamondbacks were basically 500 last year, 82 and 80, nothing crazy. They did trade away Goldschmidt to St. Louis. Great for St. Louis, you know, having another having another bat in the lineup. They lost A.G. Pollock, obviously, to the Dodgers. They do still have Zach Greinke, who was, who's been solid. I believe he's had 45 wins in the last three years. So it's like, Zach Greinke's still good, really wow. good, like strong. He is still the ace of the staff. And then you've got your, uh, your other Zach. For some reason, I keep forgetting the last name. What was it? Gosley? I think it's Godley. Godley. Yes, yeah, so Zach Godley. So you've got the two Zachs combined for 30 wins last year. The problem is you've got your two starters combining for 30 wins, and then it's a major drop-off. It's, it's not a lot. It's concerning. But I will give you a couple of interesting statistics that, uh, that came in there. We went old school as well. I will mention that uh, I brought in the old 2019 season preview magazine. This, this harkens back to, to, to my favorite times as a baseball fan. I only wish that Baseball Weekly was still here. Apparently, uh, they converted it over years ago to the USA Today Sports Weekly. I didn't realize that. I actually thought just Baseball Weekly went away, and I was sad. And then I found out they had moved it over and became Sports Weekly. It is insane. Baseball Weekly was awesome, especially in the, in the late 90s. It was, my, it was my thing. So the Arizona Stars average 9.31 Ks per nine innings, which is actually quite good. That's quite impressive. The problem is, so you've gotten rid of your best hitter, your perennial all-star, because I think Goldsmith was the only guy who has been in the last six all-star games for the NL. Yeah. No, he's been he's been great. He's been consistent. Just Absolutely. That, it's what I said earlier. Like, think of your Dodgers if they had a Goldsmith. Like, just imagine. Goldsmith is not like, oh, my God. You don't think of Paul Goldsmith as like, oh, my God, you know, this guy who's... He, you're not talking about him in the Bryce Harper, Arenado categories. But, what you, but with Paul Goldsmith, he is that dude that I'm talking about. The 30 home run, 100 RBI guy who can be an all-star any given year and who provides that offense. Yeah. In the middle of the lineup where you just need something, it gives, it gives the other team something to think about. And it's kind of useful in that situation. There isn't a lot more to say about Arizona. Unfortunately, their fortunes are really going to be contended upon what they want to do going forward. There isn't... I think, I think they're one of those teams that are kind of waiting for things to come down the pipeline because there's nothing immediately in the horizon. It is kind of interesting, but it's they're just there. Yeah. They're just kind of hanging in there. I think we'll talk briefly the other two kind of teams that are there. You want to do San Diego or San Francisco first? Oh, San Francisco. Uh, because San Francisco is an interesting team. You know, you think, hey, it's an odd year. But as you pointed out earlier in our discussions prior to the podcast, that it seems like they're one of those teams that may have, you know, sold their soul for a few championships and now have nothing. I would still take it. Three championships in six years, I'll take it. No, fair That's enough. That's a fair deal. Right? And you still have, who on paper, you still have a lot of good players, right? You still have Bumgarner, who's fantastic. You still have uh, Jeff Samarja, who's pretty solid. You got Evan Longoria. You got Buster Posey. You've got Brandon Crawford. You got Brandon Belt. You have solid people. But the issue with them is, for the most part, they're all aging, mm-hmm. right? Bumgarner, you already alluded to, is, is uh, the subject of several trade rumors. And I just don't I just don't see everybody staying healthy and everything coming together for the Giants. 
I think that's the only chance you have. And even then, if everybody stayed healthy and everybody came together, I still don't think you're that much better than a 500 team. Yeah, I think that's the big issue that I have is that the reason why I project them bottom is not because I think San Francisco is bad per se. They're pieces on paper. If you put, if you're thinking about it from like a fantasy standpoint, if, if you give me a full season of health, they should put up reasonable numbers, but they're not composed the way they were when they were competing for championships, when they were fairly complete. They had all these components, and it was very impressive. Now they've got components, but it's they're kind of in isolation. They operate exist inside of their own world. It's hard to say if there's anything that the Giants can do in the immediate, in the immediate timeline to try to do anything. It feels like a rebuilding year. The injuries and... Very likely, if they fall completely out of the race, then they'll probably move Baumgartner at the trade deadline, at which point they've basically given up on the season, and they may as well try to be a team seeking a high draft pick. That kind and, of puts and them in the slot. And that's sort of what I foresee happening, is what you just described there. Yeah. Right? A team that it's just not happening, and then they just they just start selling people. They just trade all the best guys and go straight to the rebuild, like what they probably should do anyway. Yep. So the good news is that uh, probably not a lot of good baseball in San Francisco. But they have a beautiful ballpark and lovely weather. So enjoy. And probably uh, if you're in the Bay Area, uh, the Warriors probably win. There you so go. you got something. Uh, now on to San Diego. And San Diego to me is a team that if you look at their roster up and down, I mean, they have some players. But generally, my one thought is who? Right? So do they have some? Yeah, they have Eric Hosmer. Yes, they have Ian Kinsler, Will Myers. So these are some names that are out there that people have probably heard of. But... The rotation doesn't do anything for me, and I, I think they're one of those teams that, you know, they should maybe have a half-decent season, but I don't expect them to, to do anything crazy, right? I expect them to be, you know, shooting for 500, and if they can get there, then that's an excellent season for them. That's fair. The only reason why I gave them a step above San Francisco is that I assume is that given they are already kind of uh, crummy, I'm assuming that there'll be a little bit of a bounce back from Hosmer and those guys. But the reality is, and the reason, and I turned uh, the page on there, find me a 20 home run guy from last year. All those are the offensive guys at the bottom. Look at the home run total and look down that line. Who led the team in home runs last year? Uh, Eric Hosmer. Yep. How many home runs did he have? 18. That's not good. That, that's what you would call the, the technical term is horrific, terrible. That's not going to win you a lot of games. Again, I'm not stating that home runs are the be-all and end-all. It's, you know, I'll get, uh, I'll get hit by all the sabermetrics folks, you know, oh, war. It's like, stop, 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 stop. You still have to score runs somewhere. Home runs is one aspect of it, but RBI totals aren't that great. The team batting average isn't great. And again, if you want to go to advanced metrics, fine. You want to talk to me about Moneyball? Awesome. I like Moneyball. I like Billy Bean, and I like what they did there. But the problem is they never actually won a championship with that. They stayed competitive. But I, I, I can tell you right now that Billy Bean would love to have had a little bit of extra payroll flexibility, just a little bit, because he could have still done all the things he did and just had that one additional piece that probably would have put him over the top and actually gotten him that championship. Hmm. If he had been able to win one with the Moneyball thing, I think it would have been a game changer for MLB, but it never happened. And I don't know if it's going to. We'll talk about the, that team more when we get to that division, but it's just something to bear in mind that it's like, I think you can genuinely build a team without a quote-unquote superstar and be effective if, as a unit, they operate. I think that's basically what happened with uh, the Kansas City Royals. Like, they built a team where, you know, if you go back and think of that team, there were great players on there, uh, but they played as a team so well. They just they were just great, and it worked. And But the thing is, that's more an anomaly, you do need some dominant performances from some people. And we'll see how that goes with that. That leaves us with our last team here. We're going to talk about Colorado. I think they're really the only contender to really threaten the Dodgers at all. Agreed. In this division. It's going to be a little bit more of the same in Colorado. There's certain aspects of it that are interesting to me. Obviously, they brought back Arenado, which I already alluded to. Uh, offensively, they're going to have to be a little bit better. They did improve. They've still got Trevor Story. They've got Arenado. Uh, Charlie Blackman is great. And they did bring in Daniel Murphy, who should be able to actually assist with them a little bit and give them a little bit of offense because, as a team, offensively, they were very un-Colorado Rocky-ish or un-Colorado Rocky-esque. Not, uh, not amazing. They were, uh, I actually jotted it down here. They had 256 as a team. And this is actually the first year. Here's a little piece of trivia for you. In the history of the Colorado Rockies, this is the first year they did not have a 300 hitter. Wow. That is surprising. Arenado ha- hit 297. That was the closest anybody came. 
That is not very Colorado Rocky baseball. They are traditionally a team that, if nothing else, they'll generate offense. And they were they had an absolute shortage. And they had, you know, offensive seasons. Arenado and those guys did and did did play well, but it just wasn't there as a whole. And they have some very quirky, bizarre things to me. The biggest uh, thing for me was the Arenado thing, which I kind of mentioned to you offline, and I'll talk about. We always talk about with the course field, the home and road splits with these different players. Arenado was 99 points worse on the road than he was at home. He had 347 at home and 248 on the road. You know that was very, uh, that road that road average is very Bryce Harperish. So it's not that's not that's not awesome. It's not what you want. That's not what you want to see. Going back a couple of years, it's usually not quite that bad, but it's still 40 to 50 point difference between the home and road splits. But if he gets back more to his conventional form and he's and if he still plays Gold Glove caliber defense, which he's capable of doing, Arenado will still be great. Daniel Murphy can add a little bit of pop and you know in Coors that might he might be able to boost his power numbers a little bit and be able to give him one more weapon. And their their trajectory as a team has been up. Like if you look at their last five year win trend, going back to twenty fourteen, right? You have sixty six wins, then sixty eight, then seventy five, then eighty seven. Last year was ninety one and was good enough for a wild card, right? I could see. I would expect them to be around the same number this year. Obviously, the question mark for them, much the same way that I did with the Dodgers, is that when a player has either an off year like a Kershaw or a great year like Cal Freeland in. Uh, in Colorado, the question becomes either A, can you repeat it, or B, can you improve on it? Kyle Freeland was 17-7 and seven in Colorado. So effectively, he was the ace of the staff. So the question is, can you repeat that kind of performance? That's, it's, it's tricky. No reason to believe he can't, but at the same time, it, there's no track record well, to suggest It's yet. still the question mark, right? Yeah, it's still a question mark. Uh, so that's a big thing. And then the other uh, big issue for me is, I question right now where Colorado's devoting its payroll. Because obviously, they brought back Arenado. They got to figure that out. If they were able to get an extension or whatever, that will help secure the future for that element of it. Because I think Arenado is really, I think Arenado is one of those players who just probably should stay in Colorado because it works for him. And, uh, and it makes him a perennial triple crown candidate. You know, obviously, an off year notwithstanding. But they're giving $17 million to Wade Davis. Three years, $52 million, $17 million, 0.33 average salary per year. Yeah. For Wade Davis. He got 43 saves. Why are you paying $17 million to a closer? Why? I don't understand. <laughs> I, I understand. Like, I, it's kind of goes back to that Mariano Rivera ar- you know, argument. It, it, I, I did it tongue-in-cheek. The difference between a terrible closer and a good closer is super important. You need to, at the very least, have a good closer. Why on earth would I pay top dollar for a good to potentially great closer... Especially when you're a team that's sort of on the bubble of really competing. You need other pieces. Right. You need other pieces. I don't know if Wade, da- Wade Davis is Wade Davis's effectiveness is entirely contingent upon whether the team is in a position for him to get a save. At best, if you're going to pay for pitching, I need a starter. I need, I need, a, I need someone. If, if Kyle Freeland can replicate that kind of performance, that's awesome. I need another guy who can get me 12, 13. It doesn't have to be a top-of-the-line guy. But get me somebody who can get me 12, 13, 14 wins. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm knocking on the door of the Dodgers then because we still don't know what's going to happen with it. Walker Bueller, if he takes the leap, if Ryu's still good, if, you know, I think Mike Rich is on that team is uh, yeah, on Dodgers. Rich Hill. Rich Hill, sorry. If Rich Hill, you know, right. pitches well. But it, it's not the top-of-the-line guy. It's not the ace of the staff that the ace of the staff will be out there every five days and probably get you the win. Yeah. It's, That's what the ace's job is. But it's the, but it's but it's the two, next three, year, and right? four starters. Exactly. That's I, what's really going to make it break it for you. And so we'll see what happens with, with yeah. Colorado, right? Yeah. If, if people can take it to the next level, yeah. I think they could potentially uh, surpass the Dodgers. Yeah. But that means that everybody's going to have to take it to the next level. Yeah. The the end of the day, for me, I think where baseball is going to be interesting is that I think a lot of them are looking at the same thing that I am and starting to figure it out. If I'm going to spend top dollar, I'm going to spend it on pitching. But if I'm going to spend top dollar on pitching, I'm also not necessarily worrying just about the ace. Having a great number two, having solid number three and number four. If I get 10 plus wins from the three, four, and five, I'm probably a championship at least contender. For sure. At least, at least I'm in there because it's those... Bottom end of that rotation. When you're relying on the Josh Towerses of the world, it's it's not going to be good, and you know that. So going back to the Jays from years ago, the longer I saw you just, Josh, you Towers, just had to throw a Josh Towers reference in there. Eh? I, I I can throw. Listen, we can bring up Luke Prokopek. 
Would you like to talk about Mike Sirotka? No. <laughs> I, I say, I, I've got a list. Let's just move on. I've got a list. All right. So that kind of does it for our uh, National League West rundown. Uh, that was good. And so next week is the AL West? That's yes. That's where we're going? We're going, so we're going to the sure American League West. make sure you tune in for that. Yes. We're going to talk about the American League West. We're going to break it up division by division. Uh, that way we have at least enough time to talk about each team and give them a little bit of justice. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can at least talk through that. It's a little bit easier. So I think that's uh, it for the majority of it. New, main so news and notes. Here's your final thought. Okay. The final thing we need to address, both who lost the NBA trade, doesn't matter who won the NBA trade line, who lost Anthony Davis and the New Orleans Pelicans. Why? Because he's still in New Orleans, right? Nobody, there was obviously some offers made, some things on the table, and what did New Orleans come up with? They said, we want to keep the integrity of the NBA, therefore we're keeping him for the remainder of the season. Is that what he actually? Is that what they actually said? That's what they said. That's what the the general manager came out with a statement yesterday, I believe it was. And yeah, if you read fan forums or whatever, everybody's basically saying uh, what Every, you know. So I feel that in the off season, you're going to see Anthony Davis traded, and you're going to see management structure at that team blown up. That's my prediction there. That's very possible. But here's the question: So, are, who are they going to trade him to? Uh, you- well, I think right now, I mean, LA is still a possibility. And Boston has sort of seemed to be in there too. But I think in the off season, I think you know there's a lot more potential for teams because they're not go- they're either maybe just that one piece short or they really sort of have a better idea of where they are. Whereas if you make a big big trade where you're trading lots of pieces mid season, then you're not quite sure how you know unless you're really sure that that's going to do it for you. I think this was more a question right now of the Pelicans not wanting to do the trade than it was buyers not being there. I, I agree with that. I think, I think, though, that one of the arguments that I heard that was, I think, solid, when you really think about it, minus LeBron, they were trading basically last year's Los Angeles Lakers. They, that's what basically was being offered, plus some draft picks. Last year's Los Angeles Lakers wasn't that good. Now, they've got good pieces in there, but the truth is, for me, I, I would trade Lonzo Ball for some deflated ba- basketballs. So, just to get rid of LeVar. Fair he's, enough. He's a nuisance. Um... It's it's just that uh, I I don't know the Lakers are interesting to me. They're fascinating in the sense that Magic Johnson I think has so much pride and he has still a lot of stature in the game. But it's like for God's sake, why are you playing second banana to? I don't care about the parents of the players having a conversation. I don't care who it is. I'm not just picking on Lonzo Ball for the sake of picking on Lonzo Ball. Pick any player you want in any sport you want. I don't care what your parents think. I don't care what your mom thinks. I don't care what your dad thinks. Good for them. They have ideas. But when they start interjecting themselves into it and trying to be a glorified Kardashian and trying to be the story, why am I interviewing you? I don't care what you think. Yeah. If I'm going to interview, oh, you know what, Lonzo, you tell me what you think. And while you're at it, learn how to hit, learn how to improve your damn shot and actually hit some baskets. And maybe we can talk about this because otherwise you're irrelevant. It's the whole thing is weird. As far as the Pelicans are concerned, it's going to be interesting because I don't know Long-term wise, I don't see what the appeal would be for another player to go to New Orleans. Or if you get if you get drafted by New Orleans, wouldn't you be in the same boat? Be like, yeah, okay, I'll play this out. And oh well, look what sh- happened with Chris Paul, right? They dra- they got him in the draft. He was great for them, and then when he had the chance to go, he left. Then they stink for a bit. They get a, another good draft pick. This time it's Anthony Davis. He takes them pretty far. They had a great playoffs last year, and they freaking tank. Right, so now he's going to be out of town, and they're going to have another crappy few years. And then, if you're lucky, because I mean, you you never know with the draft; it's always a crapshoot. You have a pretty good idea, but it's never for certain. And then there you go. Sounds fair. So I think that's going to cover our main things. We did get our New Orleans corner in there at the very end, of course. The last question that we have here for this week is: What in the world of sports or anything else are you looking forward to? So what I'm looking forward to is obviously the opener, which we talked about of the AAF right and looking forward to watching that today and tomorrow so that's Saturday and Sunday and I'm also looking forward to tonight the Leafs are playing the Habs and if the Habs win they will actually have more points than the Leafs which I think is a an interesting storyline that's not being talked about too much out there I was under the impression that the Montreal no longer had a team nope they still have a team do they still we have just a don't team? talk about them very much oh I see anyway but that's that's what I'm looking forward to I, I hope the Maroons win as well. So if you if you you can Google that if you if you don't know the reference. So for me, it's going to be 
combination. So the AAF is going to be the interesting thing tonight, the opener. That's going to be cool. Obviously, tonight, interestingly enough, is UFC 234. I'm not going to tune in and order that one. Obviously, I, I, I can do the two-screen thing, but there, there are limits. I kind of want to pay attention, especially for this first broadcast. I am incredibly fascinated to how it's going to look, feel, and sound, and actually the quality of play and all the elements. So I'm going to be very interested to see actually watch the broadcast. But the other element of it also is going to be that it's a return of Anderson Silva, which is very interesting in and of itself. I don't know if that's going to turn out well. The card looks okay. It's one of those things where it's it's not the strongest card. You do have the middleweight title on the line. So it's going to be Whitaker versus Gaston. So, and you've got the return of Anderson Silva on the main card. And you are going to have some fights. I probably will watch some of the undercard fights on the second screen a little bit because I do like to see it. It's going to be on TSN here locally and I think on ESPN in the United States because I think ESPN still has the, ESPN has the deal now with the UFC where they're doing the, the various undercard fights and the extra coverage. So right. that's going to be interesting. Right. Uh, so that'll be good. If you are, uh, if you are an MMA fan, that's, that's not a bad thing for, for Saturday. And then obviously there'll be some more AF games on Sunday. We are still kind of moving through. Other than that, though, I think it's going to be an interesting weekend. And then we'll follow up with more MLB 2019 previews next week. That is it for the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Thanks for listening. Take care.